Welcome to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mavroidis. This is brought to you by the Nixon Foundation. We're broadcasting from the Richard Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda, California. You can follow us on Twitter at Nixon Foundation or at nixonfoundation.org. This month marks the 50th anniversary of the death of Dwight D. Eisenhower, America's World War II hero general, the planner of Normandy, and the 34th president of the United States. Richard Nixon served as vice president under Eisenhower. The two enjoyed a friendship and complex relationship that would last nearly two decades. Our guest today is Nixon biographer Irv Gelman. Gelman's first book about Nixon, The Contender, covered the congressional years. His most recent book is The President and the Apprentice, Eisenhower and Nixon, 1952 to 1961. Dr. Gelman, welcome. Thank you. Just to kind of start off, Nixon in his memoirs characterizes Eisenhower this way. He had a warm smile and icy blue eyes. It was not a case of being outwardly warm and inwardly cold. Rather, beneath this captivating personal appearance was a lot of finely tempered hard steel. Uh, When Richard Nixon served in the Navy during the war as a junior officer, Eisenhower was commanding the Normandy invasion. Um, What was Nixon's perspective um, on Eisenhower early on? Quite frankly, the the uh, quote that you gave is is very good. Uh, uh, <laughs> Ike had this wonderful, smiling, grandfatherly exterior, but he was uh, as skilled as anyone as I've ever seen in in uh, running the enormous operation of the executive offices in the White House. He was very, very skilled at that. Was Nixon an, an admirer of his? I think that he was not only an admirer, in many ways he tried to uh, duplicate some of the functions and the ways that Eisenhower operated, but because Eisenhower was such an epical figure, uh, that wasn't come to pass. And in addition to that, because of the growth of polarization of the country, it was even more difficult. Eisenhower served at a time when we were still uh, thinking about the greatest generation that came out of World War II. By the time that Nixon became president, we were talking about the crumbling of uh, uh, the generation that was coming to pass. How did the two uh, gentlemen first meet? How did, how did Nixon uh, meet Eisenhower for the first time? Well, he met him the first time traveling to an event in Switzerland in 1951. And they sat down and they had a uh, about a half an hour, 45 minute conversation at Eisenhower's headquarters in Paris. Uh, and uh, Nixon did not know that Eisenhower uh, had followed his efforts in the Alger Hiss case. And Alger Hiss uh, became one of the most famous uh, Soviet spies. And they were created this enormous controversy of whether Hiss was a spy or he wasn't a spy. And it's pretty well conceded now that uh, Hiss was a spy and that Nixon was right. But very few people want to go back and revisit that and give Nixon credit. You had mentioned that um, they that Nixon duplicated or tried to duplicate much of what Eisenhower accomplished during his presidency. Were the two of them kindred spirits philosophically? Uh, very much so. The remarkable thing is, is that they, they, they thought far more alike than different. They were both uh, relatively fiscal conservatives 
and internationalists and foreign affairs. The difference is, is that Nixon was very political and Eisenhower simply did not get it. He, he didn't like slapping uh, the backs of people and kissing babies and, and being a politician that grew from uh, the embryonic stages to the presidency, whereas Nixon started out in the House of Representatives, went to the Senate, then went to the vice presidency, and uh, uh, ultimately went to the White House. How did, um, you mentioned the his case, uh, Eisenhower viewing um uh, you know, watching uh, Nixon's performance on the Hiss case, how did Eisenhower come to choose Nixon as his vice presidential candidate in 1952? He didn't. He, he, he gave a list of several names, and those names went to the smoke-filled room. Uh, the people that chose Nixon uh, really were Tom Dewey and other people at the convention. Uh, Eisenhower didn't even realize it was his responsibility to select his own vice president. Uh, the nature of uh, how Nixon came to pass was not only the names, but Herb Brownell, who becomes Eisenhower's first uh, attorney general uh, comes back to uh, Eisenhower after the this group of uh, individuals select Nixon as their recommendation, and Eisenhower says, "Okay." So how did did um, did he like the choice? Did he like the choice of his vice presidential candidate? Yes, he he thought that Nixon was a a, a good uh, uh, choice. He wasn't again political in the sense that he chose him for uh, deep political motives because that wasn't in Ike's psyche, but he chose him because uh, he respected his judgment and thought he was well-reasoned in his efforts to expose Hiss as a Soviet spy. How how did Eisenhower, throughout the the final campaign stretch after the convention, how would um, Nixon fit in with Eisenhower's um, presidential campaign? Well, there were two separate campaigns pretty much. Just about in every uh, presidential election, the coordination between the presidential campaign and the vice presidential campaign is subject. The only time they really uh, get together, uh, so to speak, is over... uh, uh, the secret, alleged secret fund controversy uh, in September of 1952. Could you expand on the the fund case just a little bit? Um, Nixon was accused of financial impropriety. Could you could you talk about um, what the allegation was and what was well, the, the, what was Eisenhower's the, reaction the, to it? Yeah, the general the general allegation was is that Nixon you know, had some kind of secret fund. Uh, The fund was not secret. Uh, Many people knew about it uh, and that he was uh, uh, using it to, uh, for personal benefits, which was fundamentally untrue. Uh, What happened was, was because uh, a, a number of critical Republican newspapers and uh, politicians uh, uh, called upon his resignation that he ended up, uh, one, uh, having the fund uh, 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 taken through accountants and taken through uh, a law firm to prove, one, 
that the fund never went to him personally, and two, it was completely above board and legal. And Eisenhower uh, said at a, a meeting with uh, reporters that uh, he wasn't going to make a judgment about Nixon until after the facts came out. And even though there was a significant pressure on him to have Nixon be removed from the ticket, uh, Eisenhower was steadfast. Uh, and ultimately, Nixon gives a speech called the Checker speech um, to people that uh, found Nixon less than appealing uh, to Nixon, who called it the fund speech, which basically uh, went to millions and millions of homes and made Nixon even a stronger candidate uh, than he was. And just as an aside, uh, Adlai Stevenson also had a fund, which the press never went after, which was suspect, and uh, 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 Stevenson used for personal uh, benefit. It's been written about that um, Eisenhower kind of vacillated on Nixon during this, during what Nixon called a crisis. Um, is that is that fact or, or fiction? Again, most of what you have as as far as how Eisenhower responded and how Nixon behaved is is fiction. It's not history done through the painstaking research. It's wannabe history to show the deep. Uh, differences between the two men when that was fundamentally untrue. And part of the mythology that still remains is is that uh, uh, these two men uh, were really very far apart, and Eisenhower always looked upon Nixon with a jaundiced eye and never really uh, appreciated Nixon's skills, uh, <clears throat> all of which is untrue. So the two get elected in 1952. Um, Eisenhower is known for his cabinet style of government, uh, very top-down. He runs a tight ship. Uh, but where does where does Nixon fit in as vice president? Uh, what is does Eisenhower envision a portfolio for his number two? Uh, sort of. Uh, uh, it grows as time goes along, and as Nixon shows. Uh, him to be a, a a a better person in various fields. He initially uses Nixon to understand the nature of the politics within the Republican Party and within the Democratic Party. As he starts off, Eisenhower makes Nixon the chair of the Committee on Government Contracts, which is really a uh, uh, a name for Nixon helping African Americans get more jobs and become more in the mainstream. Uh, Nixon does a very good job at this. Uh, he then uh, Eisenhower gives uh, Nixon a number of uh, foreign assignments. I.e., in '53 he goes to uh, Asia and uh, other places. He goes to uh, the Caribbean and Central America. He goes to uh, Hungary after the Hungarian Revolution of 1956. He goes to Africa. Uh, he goes to uh, 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 Moscow to meet with uh, 
uh, Khrushchev in the uh, kitchen debates. There's all kinds of of added uh, uh, assignments that Ike gives him uh, from foreign affairs to uh, domestic policy to African-American uh, inclusion. And again, the idea of the mythology is, is that Eisenhower did not rely on Nixon, which is fundamentally uh, false. When you go through Nixon's writings here at the Nixon Presidential Library, uh, you often see Nixon's reflections on various world leaders, uh, from Lee Kuan Yew to Conrad Adenauer to Winston Churchill to um, Charles de Gaulle. Um, Nixon took extensive notes. Did he, in his in his correspondence and his conversations with Eisenhower, did he? What sort of stuff did he learn uh, from from Ike? Well, he, 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 he is briefed by the interesting thing, again, is that before Nixon leaves on every trip, he visits with Ike to get briefed. When he finishes his trip, the first thing he does when he comes back is to be debriefed by Ike. Again, uh, all of these, the, these trips in some ways are, are critical uh, to what Eisenhower is doing. Uh, probably the best example is uh, Nixon, when he goes to the Soviet Union in July of 1959, uh, comes back uh, to the United States, briefs Eisenhower on what he believes Nikita Khrushchev is all about. And very shortly thereafter, uh, Khrushchev is invited, invited to the United States uh, to meet with Nixon and, uh, uh, pardon me, to meet with Eisenhower and to work out some form of accommodation between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. It doesn't work uh, that way, but Eisenhower is using a whole series of individuals, for want of a better word, as foreign observers, people that that do legwork for him so he is able to have a, a, a broader view uh, of the world situation. In 1960, uh, did Eisenhower support Richard Nixon uh, in, his run for, in his run for the presidency against John F. Kennedy? Again, uh, the, the nature of the question is, is why would you ask that? Uh, how, how in the world could Nixon become the presidential uh, choice of the Republican Party without Eisenhower's uh, support? The remarkable thing about it is, is nobody's ever looked at the Eisenhower-Nixon relationship during 1960. And one of the, the uh, uh, main themes of the, the manuscript that I'm finishing now uh, on the election of 1960 is it, it's appalling uh, how uh, incorrect authors have gotten the role of Eisenhower and his mammoth role in uh, aiding and abetting Nixon in his quest for the presidency in 1960. Did he maintain a correspondence with Ike following the election during these so-called uh, wilderness years? I, they, they both uh, have... Uh, extensive uh, uh, telephone conversations, meeting, uh, letters, uh, uh, work on on uh, building the Republican Party, and again, uh, the uh, the remarkable thing about this is is that Eisenhower 
leaves an enormous collection of private papers during the wilderness years, which to the best of my knowledge, nobody has ever systematically gone through. Did Eisenhower provide any counsel? Nixon is running for president in 1968. Um, The Vietnam War is raging. There's obviously issues with the Soviet Union, um, some of which the Eisenhower administration had to deal with, similar issues that the Eisenhower administration had to deal with in, you know, throughout the 1950s. Was there any, was there any, did he counsel um, Nixon throughout the campaign, especially in the areas of, of policy? Of course he did. And not only does he uh, counsel him in policy, but for the first time in Eisenhower's life, he actually endorses Nixon for the presidency before the convention uh, in Miami in 1968. Ike was alive for the first two months of the Nixon presidency. Uh, Could you touch upon their relationship um, in this period of time? This is the first first three months of 1969, basically. Well, Nixon doesn't come in uh, to office until, you know, the middle of January, and Eisenhower dies at the end of March. My understanding from what I have seen so far, and I'm not definitive on this because I haven't reached any conclusions, is that, yes, they came in, 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 in contact regularly, and not only that, but Eisenhower even though uh, he was dying of a series of, of heart attacks and, and, and uh, strokes, etc., remained cognizant almost up to the day he died. You, um, the, the name of your book is The President and the Apprentice. Um, what, what effect do you think, what, what, what is the legacy you, you believe, in your opinion, of Eisenhower's uh, influence um, over over Richard Nixon um, into you know influencing him through his presidency, um, and and I guess the ultimate impact of that. It's a that's a very very good and a and a, a very complex question. Eisenhower had this great skill on how to manage people and how to bring them together at cabinet meetings at national security uh, uh, council meetings, at legislative meetings where he would bring in uh, uh, both Democrats and Republicans and and basically use them as teaching tools. And because he was such a revered epical figure that it really worked very well for him. And he was able to do this because of his enormous standing. Nixon uh, never had that kind of uh, uh, commanding respect from the the amount of people that he dealt with, nor did he uh, uh, feel as comfortable in directing people as as Eisenhower. The interesting thing about the Nixon cabinet, as compared with the Eisenhower cabinet, they were very, very skilled individuals of who he chose and how he chose them. The difference was the time and place. Eisenhower came in a time and place where you don't have this enormous amount of agitation, i.e. for civil rights, uh, i.e. there was no Vietnam situation there. Uh, The idea of, of Eisenhower managing us 
to stay out of war at the same time of being a world power. Nixon doesn't have uh, the carte blanche that Eisenhower has in, in running the, com, uh, the, the country. And in addition to that, Democrats and Republicans, by the time that Nixon reaches the White House, are, are really becoming uh, incredibly polarized, not as bad as today, but they're already on the march in 1968. And what you find happening is, is a lot of decisions that are made in Congress with the president are, are, are made uh, in, in relationship of not only what Nixon wants, but how does Congress and certain leaders who despise Nixon want to be remembered for this kind of stuff. It's a very, very uh, complex differentiation between time and space of the two gentlemen. Our guest today is Irv Gelman, best-selling Nixon biographer and historian. Our topic was the fascinating personal and political relationship of Richard Nixon and Dwight D. Eisenhower. Dr. Gelman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Please check back for future podcasts at nixonfoundation.org or on your favorite podcast app. This is Jonathan Mavertis and your Belinda. 